Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at an even bigger basketball win. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. We've got a jam-packed show for you guys again today. We're going to hit five games just like we did on Saturday. Lakers-Kings, Warriors-Rockets, Nuggets-Thunder, Hawks-Bucks, and then finally the uh, Sixers and the Raptors. We're going to hit all 10 teams and their matchups 
from this uh, past weekend. And then I've got four mailbag questions for the end of the show as well. You guys know the drip before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys took a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button as we try to launch this thing and get it off the ground. Um, don't forget about our social media feeds, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Where it's, it's where I'm posting uh, video content and show announcements throughout the year. And then our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. And then last but not least, don't forget about mailbag questions. Keep dropping them in the YouTube comments so we can keep hitting them throughout the season. All right, Lakers-Kings. So the Kings end up beating the Lakers in OT. Uh, Lakers looked like they were going to come away with it there in the middle of the fourth quarter. They were going on a run. LeBron hits a pull-up three to put him up by four. But then De'Aaron Fox took over the game down the stretch, and then Malik Monk took it over in OT as the Kings notched an impressive win over um, the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, if you guys remember after last year's postseason run, I talked a lot about how they're, they're as discouraging as certain things were for the Kings, right? Like Sabonis kind of uh, being mostly ineffectual uh, over the course of that Warriors series. Harrison Barnes really struggling over the course of the, uh, the, the Warriors series. And it kind of dawning on you that the front court really just isn't going to be good enough to contend with the best teams in the league. And that's a real problem. And that's something that even as optimistic as I feel about the Kings at this point and some of the other elements of their roster, you're just not going to win at the highest levels in the NBA with those front court shortcomings, right? But that doesn't take away from the huge positives that this team brings to the table. I talked a lot about how after that Warriors series, I was blown away by how impressive both Malik Monk and Deer and Fox were with their ability to get the defense into rotation, to either beat people off the dribble or make shots over the top, to draw multiple defenders into their ball screens. They just did a really good job generating quality shots throughout the series. And it's specifically valuable in that Western Conference because both Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox bring this crazy combination of downhill speed to beat people off the dribble and over-the-top shot making as De'Aaron Fox has developed into a jump shooter at this phase in his career. Hit several big jump shots down the stretch last night. A pull-up three in Anthony Davis's face. Another pull-up mid-range shot in Torian Prince's face down the stretch of that game. So, like, they're both now high-level shot makers. And in the Western Conference in particular, a lot of the teams at the top, as, as a matter of fact, I'll just put it plainly, all of the teams at the top of the conference that I consider to be championship contenders are bad perimeter defense teams. As you go to, like, the Denver Nuggets, for instance, I really like Aaron Gordon as an option to attack uh, or to put on other big scoring wings around the league. But like with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. on the floor, you're going to have your opportunities if you can beat people off the dribble, right? Um, same thing goes for uh, the Golden State Warriors, right? With Chris Paul and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson at this phase in his career, you're going to have opportunities if you can beat people off the dribble. Going forward to uh, the Phoenix Suns, right? Like obviously Josh Okoji and Jordan Goodwin have been exciting early season perimeter weapons, but especially when Bradley Beal and Devin Booker on the floor, they're gonna have, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to beat people off the dribble. And then last but not least, the Los Angeles Lakers with um, Austin Reeves and, and D'Angelo Russell and, and Gabe Vincent as their primary backcourt options. Like You're just going to have an opportunity to beat people off the dribble if you have the guards that can do that. And so in a weird way, the Sacramento Kings are a bad matchup for a lot of the teams at the top of the Western Conference on the perimeter. Now, again, those front court issues add a certain ceiling to that, which we'll get to in a little bit. But that Fox-Monk pairing is a real weapon. And we've seen that already um, 
in last year's postseason, but it's 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 you're seeing that come to the surface in this year's regular season as well. Last night, the the Lakers just could not contain any screening action with Malik Monk or De'Aaron Fox. Even in OT, it's just like an easy ghost screen with Kevin Herter on on Malik Monk as he pops to the left wing and. Gabe Vincent is just too slow to recover. And that's the thing. The Lakers don't have that type of real athleticism in the backcourt to physically contain the quicker guards in the league. And when you pair that with what they've got on the wing with Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter as guys that are like real athletes with real size and length who also can shoot the basketball, it kind of is a perfect pairing in terms of that perimeter uh, uh, a kind of like uh, the perimeter identity that this team has, right? Like you've got these off-ball movement shooters that kind of contribute in the athleticism areas of the game, and then you've got these on-ball quickness pull-up jump shooters that that can get the defense into rotations. So you can play drive and kick basketball, and and that's the thing. Like you saw a lot of those perimeter mismatches manifest down the stretch of this Laker game, where on one end of the floor, every time the Lakers miss. And they're missing threes, right? They're, we're going to get to it in a little bit, but the Lakers miss some great looks down the stretch of this game. They're missing threes long off the back of the rim. And Kevin Herter and Keegan Murray and these guys are coming flying in to get rebounds. Kevin Herter had four defensive rebounds in crunch time last night as the Kings were able to keep, for the most part, the Lakers off the offensive glass. AD had like a tip dunk um, with about a with about like what twenty five seconds left or so that uh, that tied the game, but other than that, they did a good job of keeping the Lakers off the glass. And then on the other end of the floor, Keegan Murray is just running right by uh, D'Angelo Russell, running right by Torian Prince, and grabbing huge defensive rebounds, both of which led to wide open threes for Malik Monk that he made both of. And so you're kind of seeing that like they have real speed and quickness advantages at the guard position, and then they have real length and athleticism on the wing to get long rebounds, to contest uh, um, shots in rotation, to, on the offensive end, uh, gather and tip out offensive rebounds. They just have a really good core of perimeter players. And again, like there's there's going to be some sort of limitation to them as a high-level playoff team as it comes uh as it comes down to their front court, but you have a real foundation there. And like again, in the big picture and I don't know what what they're looking at especially at being that they just re-upped with Sabonis, but eventually if you can imagine a universe where they get real rim protection into this system, they could be really really good in the big picture. I thought they, I thought they did a really nice job too of avoiding the Laker half court defense whenever they could by pushing the ball in transition every single time they got a, a long rebound or, or a turnover or anything along those lines. I thought both uh, 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 Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter did a nice job identifying when Anthony Davis was out on De'Aaron Fox on a switch that they had an opportunity to try to crash the glass because the Lakers didn't have much athleticism on the back line. I thought they played a really smart game as they out-executed the Lakers down the stretch last night to get a win. And again, like where you're seeing the, 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 the downside is on the defensive end. You saw the Lakers get a lot of really good looks down the stretch of that game. And they missed them all uh, for the most part. Right. And a big part of that is that because of your front courts limitations, you're having to throw two to the ball in, in post-ups and ISOs. You're having to throw a defend pick and roll actions, three on two. 
And so you're existing in rotation too much on the other end of the floor, which is what's allowing smart teams that have skill like the Lakers to make that drive and kick pass to find that open shooter. So again, like there's a limit to what they can do until they figure out that front court and and, and kind of build a, a defensive foundation on it. But you saw a lot of the exciting perimeter potential of this team against the Lakers last night. Moving on to the Lakers. The late game issues, um, I thought a, like a lot of Laker fans in particular were kind of missing the boat on what went down, down the stretch of that game. Like, yeah, they missed a lot of open shots. And yeah, Anthony Davis wasn't overly involved in the offense. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But your defense gave up 26 points in 10 minutes of crunch time basketball. The final five minutes of regulation and in OT, you gave up 26 points in crunch time. A defensive rating of 124 when the score was within five with less than five minutes left. You're not beating anybody if you're giving up like crazy, you know, best offense in the league offensive ratings during the final five minutes of the game. That's the problem. The problem is, is every single time you got to stop, they got an offensive rebound. The problem is, is your guys on the perimeter can't defend a basic ghost screen action. The problem is, is every single time Anthony Davis ends up on a switch, he gets a stop and then no one boxes out. Those are the issues that they're having on that end of the floor. That's what cost them the game. Despite shooting horrifically on the other end, they still had an offensive rating of 95 in crunch time on the other end of the floor. And that's with them missing every, seemingly every single open shot that they generated. And that's an issue. Like the late game, when it comes to late game offense, like that was an issue all year last year. And it's definitely something that we're going to have to keep an eye on over the course of the season. But when I watched the tape today, like, it was just wide open shots. It was wide open shots every time down the floor. It was LeBron, you know, uh, ripping through to the right, drawing a second defender and kicking to Torian Prince on the right wing for a wide open three. It was LeBron kind of posting up and drawing Gabe Vincent's defender in and kicking out to Gabe Vincent on the left wing for a wide open three. It was the Lakers uh, running a, a ball screen with AD and AD rolling to the basket on a switch and drawing two defenders and D'Lo throwing a skip to Torian Prince in the left corner and in pump faking and ripping through the baseline and making a kickout pass to D'Angelo Russell wide open on the right wing and he missed the three. Like at the end of the day, these are wide open looks that you're missing. And like, I get it. Maybe you, you, you find a way to get AD more involved in the offense, but do you think Mike Brown is going to allow Anthony Davis to just work on an island against the Kings? Or do you think he's going to be sending multiple defenders, which is going to lead to the defense being in rotation, which is going to lead to driving kick basketball, which is going to lead to wide open threes? Like At the end of the day, you're going to get the same damn shots. Like You just have to make the shots. It really is that simple. And like... Even specifically from the standpoint of schematics, like after Sabonis fouled out of the game, Harrison Barnes slid over onto Anthony Davis. And every single possession offensively, he either ran to the opposite block to basically operate in the dunker spot, ran to the corner or to the wing to spot up. There was not a single possession when AD had Harrison Barnes on him, when he ran down the floor, buried him and said, give me the damn ball. And then someone threw him the ball and he made a post move. That literally never happened. The only times he called for post-ups were on switches after ball screens. There was one coming off of a ball screen where uh, Deer and Fox switched onto him, and he fronted the post, and they bracketed, so there was no post entry. And so there was no opportunity to get him the ball. And then there was another transition possession in OT where LeBron, where AD ran the floor and had Kevin Herter sealed right under the basket on the left side. 
and LeBron opted to throw a swing pass over to the right to D'Angelo Russell, who was wide, like completely unguarded on the right wing. And so even the one time I thought AD had a guy buried for a post-up, LeBron made a read to probably your best spot-up shooter. Like D'Lo's, D'Lo's probably your best guy on the team to take a wide-open three, and he just missed it. So, like, even though you could argue, yeah, LeBron probably should feed AD against Herder there, it's not like he made a bad decision. He just made a different decision for a shot that, like, you know, is a great look for that team, right? And then, again, as I always say, I will defend AD to the bitter end. His impact goes far beyond what his offensive production is. I always point out the obvious reasons why he's different from the stars at the very top of the league and some areas of opportunity that he has. One of those is that half-court shot creation piece. But like you have to count, account for what he does defensively. Anthony Davis's defensive impact extends so far beyond what you see on the box score. But the reality is, is like there is basically no evidence in AD's career where you could just dump the ball to him and run the offense through him and it's going to go well. Like that that's just not a thing and I didn't see anything on tape that really screamed at me as like missed opportunities on that end except for the fact that AD probably should have just buried Harrison Barnes a few times, which is on Her- which is on AD. It's not on the players who didn't even have an opportunity to throw it to him down there. So like I I think focusing on the offensive end down the stretch of that Lakers loss to the Kings is silly. They ran great offense. I think LeBron has done an excellent job of making decisions in crunch time of games so far this year and generating super high quality shots for his teams and for his team and good shooters are just not making shots. And that's a problem. Austin Reeves this year, five for 23 on jump shots. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, seven for 23 on jump shots. Gabe Vincent, three for 15 on jump shots. As a group, those three guys are three for 14 on unguarded catch-and-shoot jump shots. So nobody's standing around them. They catch with all day to sit and think and take the shot. Three for 14. And they're not making their pull-up jump shots either. They're 10 for 33. So like at the end of the day, that was the roster construct. The idea was teams are... Packing the paint against AD and LeBron. LeBron's drawing doubles on all his drives. AD, every time he tries to post up a mismatch, they're bracketing him. They're fronting and they're offering backside help. You've got to hit shots. Like, to me, settling is I have a guy on a switch and I take a step back jump shot. Or I'm running pick and roll and I'm taking floaters and pull up jump shots. That's settling. But when the team is taking away the paint and you are driving and making the right read to wide open shooters, that's not settling. That's especially when they're good shooters. It's one thing when the team's ignoring Jared Vanderbilt and you keep getting Jared Vanderbilt catch and shoot threes and you have to start thinking about what you got to do offensively because that's a shot the defense can afford to give up. But if your if your crunch time offense is generating wide open threes for Gabe Vincent, Austin Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell, you're going to win a lot of games. And Torian Prince is one of the better wide open catch and shoot three point shooters in the league, and he missed at least three wide open threes in crunch time last night. So like again, like I I think focus, focusing on the offense is the wrong thing there because because. It was 124 to 123 with what two minutes left in OT, despite all of those missed shots. But you couldn't get a damn stop. And when it was 124 to 123, Malik Monk ran a ghost screen with with Kevin Herter, and Kevin Herter slipped it to the left wing and got a wide open three, and he made it. Because that's bad defense. Because they couldn't just communicate a switch properly. Or hedge and recover, whatever it was that they planned on doing in that situation. Like, it, it just... 
at a certain point, this team's identity is defense. That's how they have to win games. They didn't do a good enough job. A um, couple other things, rebounding issues. Again, like some of it's personnel. Like some of it is D'Angelo Russell's giving up a lot of length and athleticism to some of these guys, right? Um, there are some things that uh, that Dar- Darvin Ham can do. We saw in the Suns game in particular, put Christian Wood on the floor. He can really help you with your backside rebounding when Anthony Davis gets switched onto a perimeter player like he did on Kevin Durant in those games, right? In this game, no Christian Wood in crunch time. AD gets switched onto De'Aaron Fox or Malik Monk. You can't rebound on the backside, right? But a lot of it is just personal shortcomings because even if you had Jared Vanderbilt in for Torian Prince or Christian Wood in for Torian Prince, there were a couple plays where Gabe Vincent and D'Lo got beat for rebounds. So like at a certain point, it's a personnel weakness. And this is why I've been talking so much about how the Lakers need to find a real athletic guard. I've said multiple times, like my dream trade for the Lakers this year is like a a trade with the Bulls to bring back Alex Caruso and and DeMar DeRozan because you solve your over-the-top shot making and you get a real big athlete at the guard position that can help you in these late-game situations, securing the 50-50 balls, defending those late-game ball screen actions. Like You you probably wouldn't have to switch AD onto De'Aaron Fox if you can guard him with Alex Caruso at the point of attack. And that's a severe limitation in this roster, and that's something that they're going to have to uh, look at when they get closer to the deadline. Last note on the Lakers, over-the-top over shot making. LeBron made a pull-up three with the, uh, about halfway through the fourth quarter that put the Lakers up four, but he missed a couple more uh, pull-up jump shots that were easy in pick-and-roll down the stretch. Uh, he did make a bailout three in the left corner, uh, but he's three for ten on pull-up jumpers this year, and overall on jump shots, he's 0.81 points per jump shot. Uh, Anthony Davis, 0.75 points per jump shot, one for four on pull-up jump shots. So like we talked about how the, they're going to have to keep an eye on that over-the-top shot-making piece. And so far, again, small sample size, three games, don't want to overreact to anything. But so far through three games, their stars still can't make shots. And unless they start making shots, that's going to be something that severely hinders them in the late rounds of the playoffs. Now, uh, some of you guys out there are probably thinking, uh, Jason said the Lakers are going to win a lot of regular season games. They're one and two right now. Sometimes teams lose uh, two games in three tries. And the Lakers are not playing good basketball right now. Um, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Gabe Vincent, those guys are offensive skill guards. They're not athletic, dirty work guards who play defense, right? So if they're not making shots, their impact craters, and the Lakers are going to be a pretty inferior basketball team. But here's the thing. I expect them to make shots this year. Again, those guys are shooting atrociously bad. They're going to make shots. It's only a matter of time. As a group, the whole team, the Anthony Davis and LeBron aren't playing well enough as half-court uh, shot makers, right? Like, overall, the team isn't defending well enough. Their offensive skill guards are not uh, making any shots. As a team, they're just not playing well. But you play 82 games, and I think the Lakers are going to figure it out and play a lot better, and I still feel, feel very strongly that they're going to win a lot of regular season games. They're just not playing well right now, which is a thing that happens over the course of the NBA regular season. All right, moving on to the Warriors and the Rockets. So the bench lineup carries them again. Um, uh, Steph Curry checks out, I think it was 18 to 15, about halfway through the the first quarter, uh, like mid-late first quarter. And they bring in their bench lineup, which they've been using so far this season, which is Chris Paul with Gary Payton kind of managing the point of attack assignments, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, and Dario Saric. And that group just completely took over the game. And by the time Steph came back in, in uh, like middle, second quarter-ish, the Warriors were up by double digits. I think they were up by 13, if I remember correctly. 
And that's just a huge advantage to be able to go from down without Steph or with Steph on the floor to Steph coming back into the floor with a double-digit lead. And that's why you make the Chris Paul trade. You make the Chris Paul trade to improve the organization of those bench groups. But to be clear, it's defense that's winning those uh, those shifts for that group. They have a 92 defensive rating in those possessions. Gary Payton's doing an amazing job at the point of attack. He made a lot of plays defensively in pick and roll um, in that bench run at the end of the first quarter in early second quarter yesterday. Jonathan Kaminga brings that downhill rim pressure slashing from the wing. He's basically like playing on that weak side. Chris Paul's running pick and roll and whenever he sees that low man come over, he's just throwing it to Kaminga on the wing and Kaminga's either shooting a catch and shoot three or jab and drive to the left. He's just applying that downhill rim pressure, right? Uh, Moses Moody is kind of taking the role of like the three and D guys attacking closeouts, taking open threes when they're there. And he's playing physical point of attack defense. Dario Saric is the kind of like the offensive firepower in the Chris Paul pick and roll. And they're still having a lot of success in pick and pop situations with him just like dropping back to the, uh, to the wing or to the key off of ball screens with Chris Paul. So like it's a, it's a sensical lineup. We talk a lot about dis, like the, the list of responsibilities on a basketball court. Chris Paul fills that point of attack uh, uh, offense, like j- getting the defense into rotation. Kaminga's like kind of your uh, like second side creator slash real rim pressure guy. Moses Moody's your 3 and D guy, right? Like Gary Payton's basically operating as your primary point of attack defensive player, but he's operating off the ball and offense kind of out of the weak side corner and as a cutter, right? And then Dario Saric is your skilled big that allows you to kind of play five out offensively, right? Like it all, they just fill all the positions and they don't need an outstanding rim protector in that lineup so they can play Saric because you've got great point of attack defenders out there, Gary, Pay- Gary Payton and Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, who can be a great point of attack defender when he's locked in. And so it all just makes sense. And that's what allows the Warriors bench lineup to provide more consistent production like they have so far through the season. Again, 42 possessions, really small sample size, but that lineup has been working really well. And again, like the, the starters are not playing super great right now. Andrew Wiggins, not playing very well, right? Uh, Draymond Green coming back from an injury, playing on a minutes restriction. So like they, they need consistency um, off of their bench to give their starters time to get their shit together, you know? And then here's the thing. You just got to keep that. You keep it close. That's what allows Steph Curry to carry you home late. And that's what happened in this game. The, the, the Rockets took a late lead in this game. And then Steph Curry just unbelievably, like just got unbelievably hot and took over late. I swear every, uh, uh, like heat check run of three point shooting is coming in fours these days. That's been a theme so far in this regular season. Steph hit back to back to back to back pull up threes. Well, some of them are on the move, but like back to back to back to back threes to basically put the game away. Then there was a fun one for all us basketball fans out there. Like for the record, like Dylan Brooks as a basketball player. I think he's legitimately very good, very good defensive player. He actually is a little better offensively in the last six months than I I think he was in previous years, which is encouraging for the Rockets. He's actually become a decent playmaker off the bounce too. Good basketball player, probably even deserving of his contract, right? But I just don't like the guy. I, I think he's downright disrespectful to better basketball players than him. Like talking shit on the court to me is a normal part of competitiveness, but like going into the press and just talking shit about people for no reason is, is, disrespectful, unlikable, pointless. 
I, I think it's inauthentic too. Like I think I don't think Dylan Brooks is actually wired that way. I think he's just being a dick because it he thinks it I think he, he think he's trying to build that villain brand up, right? Um so like like just not my favorite dude, you know? Um so like I'm always gonna enjoy when when uh, uh, Steph Curry has a moment at his expense. And I didn't even mention all the dirty player stuff. Like, like Dylan Brooks has hurt guys, like has actually hurt guys making dirty plays on the court. I, I, I'm just, just not a Dylan Brooks fan. Um, but when Steph Curry hit him with like the behind-the-back crossover, back to the left and back behind the back again to the pump fake as Dylan Brooks goes flying by and hits a shot in his face and Steph is freaking out as he's running down the floor. That, those are the things that I love about basketball. Because regardless of what you end up saying at the end of the day, like you still gotta, you can't talk all that shit and then just get your ass bust by by Steph Curry, right? Like that's the that's the downside. You you talk, you gotta back it up. And basketball is very much a results sport. And like there's all you always live to fight another day, and you always have another chance to try to make someone pay. And Steph got the better of uh, Dylan Brooks in a big way down the stretch of that game. Steph's been fantastic um, so far this season. You can kind of see things kind of coming together for this team. Kaminga's been really good again yesterday, just making a a higher level offensive plays than you're expecting him to make at this phase in his career. Uh, um, The the bench fit that we went over is perfect. You're pairing that with the best starting lineup in the league last year, right? There's just a lot of stuff coming together for this team. Very small sample size. I'm not going to get too excited until uh, we get about 20 games in. Uh, but the Warriors look a lot closer to the 2022 version of them so far than they do the 2023 version, and that's exciting. On the Rockets front, the only thing I really want to hit on here is uh, um, the Fred Van Vliet thing is is so confusing to me. And like, I remember that was the like, if this is what you were gonna do, like largely give the keys to uh, a guard to a veteran guard who's a little bit past his prime, like why didn't you just pay James Harden? Because like the Van Vliet thing's not going well. Zero point eight seven points per pick and roll. He's co-opting the offense too often. He's uh, uh, four ISOs just scored once on him. Four for twelve at the rim. They finally let Jalen Green be more aggressive in last night's game, but like it's 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 a little too many hands in the pot right now. It's a little uh, a lot of guys out of rhythm sort of thing going on. The only real reliable point in their offense right now is Shangun, who was pretty good again yesterday. Seven assists and zero turnovers. Like they they. I just wish I could understand what the big picture goal is for this Rockets team. And here you are at 0-3, so if the move was, hey, we're going to bring him in and we're going to win games, that's not working either. Um, All right, moving on to the Nuggets and the Thunder. I thought this was the most impressive win that I saw so far from a team this season. The the Thunder 2-0 at home, all full of piss and vinegar, ready to try to to get a big win against the Denver Nuggets, and they just get their ass kicked. (laughs) Like, It's funny because, like, I really do believe that the Nuggets are only a little bit better than the teams at the top of the league when they're fully formed. But you're seeing, like, the Lakers are are working shit out with their rotation and their rhythm, and most of their guys aren't playing very well. Damian Lillard came into camp out of shape, and the Bucks looked pretty bad here early on, right? Like, the Celtics are really good, but you know how it goes with the Celtics. You're always worried about them in the late rounds of the playoffs. Like the Sixers are, uh, are, are we're going to talk about them later, but they're kind of working some things out. Uh, uh, Devin Booker and Bradley Beal are are uh, are injured and not available to play. So it's like right now, if the season ended today, the Nuggets are way better than the rest of the teams in the league. But I, do, I again, I do think in the big picture, everyone's going to catch up to a certain extent. I don't think the Nuggets have a that significant of a talent advantage. But the Nuggets are the best team in the league right now. And, it, and it's not particularly close. And they just have like a an inevitability 
to what they do offensively. Nicole Jokic just burying Chet Holmgren under the basket a few times early in the game just to show him, like, hey, you literally cannot guard me down here, right? Like, they can punish mismatches elsewhere on the floor. We saw Eric Gordon, uh, Aaron Gordon do it in the post a bunch of times already this season. We've seen Jamal Murray more in the postseason last year, but we know he can do that too. And then one, one of the things that was really impressive to me about the Thunder were they, uh, they were – throwing pretty aggressive coverages at the two-man game that the Nuggets were running. And the Nuggets are just so good at countering your counters, right? And so, like, you can kind of see, like, the Thunder, every single time there'd be, like, a ball screen on the right side of the floor. And the defender would start getting, or the uh, the defender would chase over the top, and Jamal Murray would, or or Reggie Jackson or somebody would start getting going downhill a little bit, right? And you would see the classic defensive rotation take place. So, like, you got, uh, let's call it, uh, you know, a shooter in the corner and a shooter on the wing. And, like, you'll literally see the, 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 Thunder players rotate, so the guy guarding the guy in the corner will come over underneath the basket to basically guard the pick and roll three on two. And then the guy guarding the wing will drop to the corner to take away that skip pass and pick and roll. And like the Nuggets are just like, oh, like this is easy. We're just going to stash an athlete on the left wing every single time and have him cut down the lane. And you've seen that be KCP a lot with the starters, but in the bench group, you're seeing Peyton Watson have a lot of success with that. He's gotten really good at just identifying as soon as his man drops down to, to uh, essentially replace the low man who comes over and pick and roll. Peyton Watson's just cutting to the basket. And again, like how often can you get away with putting an athlete above the break who's not a great shooter, although, although Peyton Watson's been making some threes this season too. But like he, you put an athlete there because you hit him as he's running full speed to the basket, and he can just jump over everybody and put it home. And like that, the... The Nuggets just know exactly what they want to do every single time down the floor. They know exactly how to get baskets if you defend their action two-on-two in their ball screen game, right? And then they know exactly how to counter every single aggressive defensive coverage that you throw at them. It it just, it's, it's too easy for them. And then again, like it just felt like every single time the Nuggets wanted an easy basket, they just throw it to Jokic and he'd bury Chet Holmgren and put it up underneath the basket. You know, there was even a transition play where Jamal Murray like looks up and and Jokic is running along the left lane line and Chet's kind of waiting underneath the basket and Jokic is just calling for the ball. Jamal just throws a rifle pass, hits him. Jokic just literally just bodies Chet once and shoots a little floater in the lane. They just make it look so unbelievably easy. And then on the other end, they're actually defending at an extremely high level to start the season. uh, season. They're seventh in defensive rating. Teams are shooting just 28% from three against the Nuggets. SGA had a nightmare shooting game in this Thunder game. Now, again, uh, like in the big picture, are teams going to shoot 28% against the Nuggets all season? No. But this is the kind of thing that they can do to teams when they physically pulverize you on the other end. You know, I talk a lot about how the mental element of basketball, the confidence element, it actually throws other teams out of rhythm when they see you scoring so easily. Like you start to get in your head about shots because they're making everything. And like that 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 directly affects your confidence. And I don't think it's a coincidence that teams shoot as poorly as they do against the Nuggets. Some of it again is the teams they've played, right? The Lakers who have been shooting like shit all season, the Timberwolves who don't have great off-ball shooting. And uh, this Thunder team who can struggle a little bit with spot-up possessions as well. Guys like Shea and guys like um, uh, Josh Giddy are not outstanding spot-up shooters. So, like, they can have their issues there as well. But at the end of the day, it is a, it, it, in the big picture, it has a lot to do with what they're doing on the other end of the floor. They got Michael Porter Jr. going in this game as well. I think they're going to run away with the one seed in the West um, in the regular season. And I think they have a good chance to win the midseason tournament, which I think would be great for the NBA. 
because they're trying to build this this NBA Cup as like a second tournament that's different from the playoffs in that it's single elimination and that, that has some certain amount of prestige. That's why they're calling it the NBA Cup. That's why they're putting the trophy on the courts for the uh, courts that they swap at every single game. They're leaning hard into this NBA Cup thing. And in order for it to be legitimate, it needs to go to the best team more often than not, right? And so, like, like I think it'd be good for the league if the Nuggets just went and won the midseason tournament because that'd be that indicator of, like, yeah, we're just better than all of you guys. And this tournament is another way to show that. And if that's what it turns into, if the tournament just becomes another area for teams to express themselves as the best, that's where that tournament can gain some prestige. And if it gains some prestige, teams will care about it. If teams care about it. Like, you want to get to the point where it's like we're, we're talking 15 years from now, like, man, Jokic has five NBA Cups to go with three NBA champions and, you know, uh, Giannis only has three NBA Cups. Like, that's what you want. You want team people counting that accomplishment in the same breath as MVP, in the same breath as the Larry O'Brien. It may never get to the Larry O'Brien, but if it can get into the same breath as MVP as an accomplishment, that would go a long way towards adding legitimacy to the award. On the Thunder front, I, I think you really saw the lack of a big, strong four-man in this game. Again, like I, I talk a lot about the different kinds of wings, and you want to have like slender athletic wings that can navigate screens and move quickly and, and bother guys on the perimeter. But you also need, especially next to Chet, who is going to be a little bit of a thin player at the center position, right? You need to have somebody who's of Aaron Gordon's type of archetype, somebody that's between 6'8 and 6'10", who's really physically strong, that can handle some of the bigger, stronger matchups. Because they didn't really even have an option to put Chet off of Jokic in this game because there was just not anybody strong enough to bang with him in those situations. And I, and I like Jalen Williams, but he's a little too short, right? And uh, like Lou Dort is, is very physically strong, but he's too short to bother a guy like Jokic. I think that's the next move for this team is they need to take a look at that starting lineup and see if there's somebody out there uh, that can kind of be their big, strong four in the bigger picture. Don't think they'll do it this year. This team doesn't have urgency. They're not trying to win the championship this year. Um, uh, but in the big picture, I think that I think last night kind of showed you, yesterday in the afternoon, I should say, kind of showed you the ultimate ceiling of this team. Like You can imagine this team, this Thunder team, imagine they win 55 games. That's way too much. They're not going to win 55. But just say they win 55 games. And they, they go on this playoff run and they beat the Timberwolves in the first round and and then they head into a second round series and it's the Denver Nuggets or it's the let's say the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron's just picking on him in the post and they just don't have anybody who can physically hang with him you know like that's where it can be or Anthony Davis for instance Anthony Davis would probably cause Chet Holmgren some problems burying him under the basket so like that, that that's an example of the ultimate ceiling they can run into if they don't eventually get a more physically imposing forward next to Chet Holmgren in the long run. Um, the, the, the Nuggets were just too much of a bad matchup for them in that regard. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. 
It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole-body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription, or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription. And free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Hoops, that's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Hoops, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Hoops. All right, Hawks Bucks. We got two more games, guys, and then we'll get out of here. And then our mailbag questions. They uh, the Hawks went into Milwaukee and just kicked the Bucks' ass um, early and often in this game. They doubled Dame on every single ball screen, enforced a lot of turnovers, and got out in transition. The Hawks scored thirty eight points in transition in this game, which is like insanely good. That's like that th- that that that's about as high as you'll see in a, in an individual game. That that they their team speed is what is most impressive post John Collins trade. Slide Jalen Johnson in at the four. Jalen Johnson is just a rangy athlete that can get up and down the floor super quick. Finish at the rim, above the rim, um, in traffic. They are uh, uh, Jalen Johnson by himself has 17 points in transition already this season. That's the 11th most in the entire league so far. Uh, Jalen Johnson also is five for 11 on jump shots and is converting spot up possessions at 1.25 points per possession. You know, it was funny we talked in uh, before the season about whether or not it was going to be Sadiq Bay um, uh, in that starting spot, but Jalen Johnson's doing a really nice job there, and he's making plays on defense. He's got a block and a steal in every single game so far this year. I think as a team, and you saw this, they didn't defend well in their first two games this year, but you kind of saw what they're capable of defensively in this game when they're really aggressive on the perimeter because like they forced a lot of turnovers and got out and running, and they just looked like they had arms everywhere. And that's what can happen with this lineup. When you've got DeJounte Murray, when you've got Jalen Johnson, when you've got DeAndre Hunter, when you've got Sadiq Bey, you've got athletes that can make plays on the perimeter. And so, especially when you partner that with a a pretty solid rim protector in Clint Capella, this team is capable of being much better defensively than they have been. And they have not been good defensively 
um, in the big picture this season. But in that first half in particular against the Bucks, I thought they were really impressive defensively. And I think that's replicable if they take that on as an identity. And again, like the, you got to look at it in the big picture too, because offensively they're not where they need to be, right? Right? Like they're tenth in offense, but that's despite both Trey Young and Dejounte Murray playing horribly to start the season. Dejounte Murray's below forty percent from the field. Trey Young's below thirty percent from the field. Trey Young, Trey Young is seven for twenty-one on pull-up jump shots and one for eleven at the rim. Now everybody else in the lineup is actually playing really well and making shots. And that's the exciting part in the big picture because if your core guys get going, that's where you can really put together an elite offense. And so I think this Hawks team is capable of being really good. I had them going up a level this year, for those of you guys who remember in the season preview. Um, but it's it, I, the Jalen Johnson thing is something I even missed in my in my preseason prediction and scouting this team. I didn't realize how good he was. And they just have a ton of depth on the wing. And 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 like theoretically with that spacing with their shot creators when they get going they can be really really good. On the Bucks front, they look like a team that doesn't even practice. Um uh and again I know they do, but they just look really sloppy on both ends of the floor right now. On offense, they had no idea what to do when Dame was getting trapped. And a lot of it was on Dame. Dame's just not playing well. He was turning it over against the blitz, just throwing it into uh, passing lanes and throwing it, not even getting it over the guy who's blitzing him. And some of that's like not even about the schematic side of things. Like if Dame can't actually get the pass off in a trap, which he's been doing his entire career in Portland, that's obviously going to uh, uh, bite you in the butt before you can even get started, right? So like I- I'm not uh, uh, particularly concerned in the big picture. They're just playing shitty right now on both ends of the floor. Dame is can't hit a shot. He came into camp out of shape, clearly. Uh, is not even getting the ball over the front of the rim on most of these shot attempts. And a lot of their offensive approach just doesn't make any sense. There was a stretch in the first quarter where Giannis took a turnaround fadeaway in the post and missed it right after missing a free throw. And and he's been shooting free throws like shit so far this season, so his jumper is clearly not there. Then Dame goes down in the very next possession and shoots a pull-up 30-foot three in transition and barely grazes the side of the rim. And then the very next possession... Giannis dribbles up and just takes a three from above the break and misses it, uh, like bricks it. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like, like this doesn't have to be that complicated. Just get your four out one in spacing, have Giannis come set a ball screen and have Dame throw the ball to Gian- uh, Giannis rolling hard downhill against the blitz. Like a lot of this is just, they're not, they, they don't look like a team who knows how they want to play right now. And then on the defensive end, the rotations have been really shitty so far, which is surprising, especially from the backline guys. Like there were two possessions in the first quarter in particular where Trey Young and DeJounte Murray were able to feed to guys directly under the basket for dunks because Giannis was leaving the paint to rotate somewhere else and no one rotated on Giannis's behalf to the to underneath the basket. Like they just again, we talked about this before the season. I'm a huge believer in the Bucks' ultimate playoff ceiling. But I said, I think they're gonna go down a level in the regular season. And I said, don't be surprised if there's a huge gap between them and the Celtics and if they end up being a middle-of-the-pack team in the regular season. And I really do think that's a possible outcome here because they're just really far right now from where they need to be to be a good basketball team. In the big picture, it's going to be fine. There's too much talent there. Chris Middleton missed this game. Chris Middleton uh, uh, obviously improves your ability to play off of Dame double teams. In general, the Dame-Giannis pick-and-roll is going to gain a lot more traction as the season progresses. Dame eventually is going to start making shots. I promise you he will. So like everything's going to be fine, but we can't really judge the Bucks right now because they uh, kind of like I, what I was saying about the Lakers, they're just playing shitty basketball right now. And when a team's playing shitty ba- basketball, try not to overthink it. 
try to understand that like we're looking at 30 NBA teams that are all on various levels of progress from like what they what they could be and where they are. And like there are teams like the Nuggets who like know exactly what they are and they're already playing at their individual scale. Like the Nuggets right now are are playing like a championship team, right? And then you've got teams towards the bottom where it's like Bucks still trying to figure out uh, what they want to do, right? The Lakers still playing well below what they're capable of doing. And then you have teams that are kind of like up in the middle, right? Like the, the Warriors are kind of one of those teams that like they look like they're a little further along in where they want to be compared to some other teams around the league, right? Sacramento Kings right now look a little bit further along than some of the other teams and what they want to be. We all are kind of evaluating these teams on this sliding scale, but this top piece here is the only one that really matters, Right? Because like this Bucks team right now, if you put them in a, a playoff series against the Miami Heat, they'd probably lose, right? Just like they did last year. But I mean, they'd probably lose if they started a season even with a series, even with Dame right now. They're just not ready. But we're talking about who's going to be the best basketball team in the middle of April, not in the middle of October. And so I, I, it's not crisis mode. But this team looks really far away. And Bucks fans, be prepared. They could lose a lot of regular season games in the meantime while they're sorting this stuff out. And it could be a little closer to like the Warriors last year, where like they're scrounging away at the you know bottom of the playoffs, top of the play-in tournament type of area of the bracket, if they're not careful. All right, moving on to Sixers Raptors. So uh, the Sixers blew out the Blazers last night, but I want to focus on this Raptors game because I thought it was a little bit more interesting of a game. They trailed by double digits at four different points in the first half. The Raptors were uh, putting a hellacious defensive effort on them, getting out in transition a lot, which can be an issue for the for the Sixers, if you guys remember. But right about, uh, about, about two and a half minutes left in the first half, the uh, Tyrese Maxey-Joel Embiid two-man game started to click. And this is the upside of James Harden's absence. Like, you want to get a look within this season, this version of Tyrese Maxey, what he looks like as your top perimeter option in the event that you have to flip James Harden for role players, which is a very distinct possibility under the circumstances, right? And so far, through three games, Maxey's averaging 30 points, seven rebounds, six assists on 69% true shooting. He's shooting 71% in effective field goal percentage on jump shots. Tyrese looks incredible. Now, again, it's three-game sample size. You want to see more. But, like, this is what he's capable of. He already was one of the best shooters in the league. Like, Tyrese Maxey is flat out one of the best jump shooters in the league now. He was last year, and he's shooting guns blazing to start this year. Like, when you combine that with his downhill uh, athleticism, it really was just about can he ever get to the point where he can run the two-man game with Joel Embiid and set him up with those isos and pick-and-pop opportunities that he needs to generate easy shots. And I thought he did a really nice job of that in this game. Like he's got the kind of like swoopy over the back pass to Embiid when he pops to the top of the key. He's got that little pocket pass to Embiid and he's got the timing down now where he knows the proper time to get it to him so that he actually gets a decent look there. He's starting to see the back line a little bit better. There was a play where they came up with a third defender to take away the pocket pass to Embiid and Kelly Oubre snuck along the baseline and Tyrese just hit him on the bounce for a dunk. Like, you need to see in the big picture what Tyrese's playmaking can be like, right? And for the record, it can be a lot better. He's run uh, 51 ball screens so far, and they've only led to 48 points. So he's a hair under a point per possession in pick and roll, and he's 7 for 23 on pull-up jump shots so far. So like, it looks good, really, really good, and he can still go up a level from there. And and by the way, the pull-up jumpers, that's that's 
off the dribble. There are uh, several shots that Maxi has made so far this year in two-man game off of Embiid off the catch. That's a thing that he had that uh, that Harden doesn't have, right? Maxi can come flying off a dribble handoff, not put the ball on the ground, and just rise up and shoot going both ways. And that's kind of like an interesting, almost Warriors-esque DHO action or, or Kings-esque DHO action that they can run that they couldn't run with James Harden. And so, like, again, James Harden's value is is not good. He's probably not going to bring back a star barring some sort of other distressed star, right? And so more than likely, you're going to get a quality role player or two in that exchange. And in order for that to work, you need Tyrese Maxey to flash as a, as a legit number two next to uh, uh, Joel Embiid. And it could not have gone much better than it did over the course of the first three games of the season. They just started like uh, Maxi had the three point shot going. He had like uh, by the time I stopped watching the game, he had already made like six threes. And then Joel Embiid uh, in the process, as everyone's chasing Maxi around, he's getting great looks. Uh, Joel Embiid's got his jump shot going now. His three point shot looks great too. Like they they just kicked the Raptors' ass in this game and, and like just manhandled them down the stretch. And so like all on the strength of Maxi Embiid two man game. Like those two absolutely torched them. Uh, the the Sixers right now are fifth in offensive rating, 119 points per 100 possessions without James Harden. Five, fifth best offense in the league without James Harden. And again, like. That was against a Raptors team that has been one of the best defenses in the league so far this year. That was against a Bucks team, which should, in theory, be a great defensive team. The Blazers are the only kind of cupcake in that group, right? That's, that's, not, that's not a slouch. Um, the defense isn't where it needs to be, but it's a transition issue. The Sixers are allowing just 90 points per 100 half-court possessions. Embiid's rim protection has been excellent. But they can still get a lot better. They're still having some issues with, like, Maxi getting switched and then trying to scram him out of switches, but they're not rotating in time. So there were a couple plays against the Raptors where like Maxi would leave his man to scram out of a switch, but then they would just make the feed and he'd score to, to the guy Maxi was guarding because they didn't rotate fast enough. So like they, they've got some stuff to work out with their half court defense, but for the most part, they've been pretty good. It's the transition defense that's continued to kill them. Um, on the Raptors front, Defense looks great. They're fifth in defensive rating so far. Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi are combining to average 4.5 blocks and 2.7 steals per game. And they're doing a really nice job getting out and transition off their defense. They're third in fast break points per 100 possessions. 26 points per game in transition, according to Synergy. That's seventh most in the NBA. And they're really efficient in those situations. 1.3 points per transition shot attempt, which is fifth in the NBA. But their half-court offense is absolutely atrocious. They are scoring just 78 points per 100 half-court possessions. That is dead last in the NBA. And they are the only team in the NBA right now with a half-court offensive rating below 80. So, And we kind of called this before the season. I told you guys I saw the Raptors as the worst uh, backcourt in the NBA. And that's how you get defenses into rotation, right? And so you've got a, a bad uh, front court, a back court, in my opinion, combined with a front court full of athletic players that have a lot of defensive potential and are somewhat raw offensively, right? Guys like OG Ananobi, guys like Scotty Barnes, guys like Pascal Siakam. Like, you're just going to struggle to score in the half court with that group. And they really, really have. Like, I, I love Dennis Schroeder. Great point of attack defender, can generate rim pressure. Gary Trent Jr. is a really interesting player. Can run dribb- dribble handoffs and ball screens. Can hit pull-up jump shots and floaters. They are a, 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 they're both okay players. 
But if you're going to have a, a backcourt without stars, you better have like a bona fide half-court surgeon in the front court, and they just don't. And so they don't have any ha- high, uh, like high-end half-court shot creators on this team, and they're just really going to struggle to score until they address that. I, I mean, they're another team where you're like, why don't you guys go after someone like James Harden to just try to bring some sort of higher-level half-court shot creation to the situation, especially when you have a defense that, that, that's that good. When you've got that defense and the ability to get out and tra- get out and transition, if you give them a reasonable ability to score in the half court, they can win a lot of games. All right, let's move on to our mailbag. I've got four questions for you guys today. First one: How many games do you think is enough of a sample size to say a player has made real improvement in a given area? For example, shooting, playmaking, defense. I've seen only two games from Luca, but he looks like a totally different player on the defensive end compared to previous seasons. I want to make sure I temper my expectations adequately. So when it comes to skill things like the ability to handle pass shoot, I would say like at least 20 games, but really it could even extend to seasons because guys can have a hot shooting season and then not uh, shoot well after that, right? Like, but around, like we've seen 20 game samples where, you know, Anthony Davis, for instance, in the bubble just makes a ton of jump shots and then he can't shoot anymore. Right. So like, it's, it's tough to say, uh, uh, when it comes to skill stuff, if it's not clearly apparent over several seasons that a guy has become reliable in some specific area, but right around 20, 20 games is at least an opportunity to be encouraged. So like there's a player that's not shooting well, and then he has a 20 game stretch where he shoots 42% from three. That's at least a reason to be excited about him potentially progressing in that uh, direction on the defense and rebounding front. It's really like you can physically do it or you can't and that's the thing with this Luca stuff like Luca's always been capable of being an average team defender like he's always been capable of that but like he was really bad defensively last season like downright atrocious down the stretch I had a lot of Mavericks fans again being like like uh oh you ranked uh Luka Doncic 10th yeah, but I told you in a vacuum, I think he's the fourth best player in the world. That 10th ranking was based on his performance from last season, which was not good. Like, that's just the reality. My player rankings are more of like a, an award ceremony based on the actual basketball that took place. I know what Luke is capable of. Love Luca. Think he can be the best player in the world. Think he is the fourth best player in the world in a vacuum. But he has to play team defense. He has to take care of the basketball. He has to box. Boxing out was a huge problem for him last year. Just wouldn't do it on a lot of possessions. So like, again, you either can do it or you can't. Luca always has been able to. It's just been a, we- a question of whether or not he will do it. Uh, next one, roughly how many games does it take for you to gauge the process of a rebuilding of, of a rebuilding team? I'm a Pistons fan and love and loving the changes Monty has made to our play style. And of course, Cade coming back with a vengeance. We should have beat Miami if not for the daily five stupid turnovers per game, but Monty has emphasized physicality, rebounding, and defense combined with more ball movement, less standing around off ball. Ivy coming off the bench I don't like with uh, with Bogdanovich injured. We need to spark off the bench, plus his defense is terrible. But I'm confident when Bogey comes back and him learning to use his physical gifts on D, he'll at least be able to be a neutral defender and join the starter. So um, I have noticed the Pistons have played well too. I've just had to cover some other teams first. I will hit a Pistons game at some point in the next week or so. Um Specifically, Cade Cunningham looks amazing, and that's that like big playmaking guard, right? Like he's he's technically a guard, but he kind of has the body of a forward, and that that gives you that ability to put defenders in jail easily, to score around the paint efficiently, to be the the size to be able to see over the top of the defense and make the passes. And he's made enough pull up jump shots, which which is obviously a, a, a monumentally important part of that side of the ball, right? 
Um, uh, the thing, Ivy is one of my favorite young players in the league. You guys know ever since summer league two years ago, I've been super high on him. Um, it's just a weird roster for him in a lot of ways, obviously, cause he's coming off the bench. Now they're running two big lineups. You think of a situation where like Ivy with the starters wouldn't make a ton of sense anyway, because he's a slasher and you're putting him alongside, uh, two bigs, Jalen Dern, who, uh, uh, obviously operates inside. You got Isaiah Stewart taking a lot of threes, but he's obviously not going to be a guy that teams guard out there, right? Asar Thompson, who's flashing huge perimeter defense potential, which is super exciting, but like he's a non-shooter in most, in most cases right now, not being guarded as a shooter. And so like, it actually makes a lot of sense to have Ivy come off the bench with this particular group. Um, but as far as like the Pistons in the big picture, and we'll talk about them when I cover them later this week, but uh, I would look at them like the same way we looked at the Magic last year. What you're looking for is like these five, six game spurts where, because young players struggle to replicate what makes them successful. So like you're not going to get them just overnight becoming a 50 win team, right? But what you're looking for is five, six game stretches where they look like a really good team, right? And that was what we got from the Magic last year. They were out of the playoffs. They What, what did they win? 35 games or whatever it was. But they had like, this random stretch where it's like, whoa, they won six games in a row and they beat the Celtics twice. Like clearly they're capable of doing more, you know, like, oh, they won eight out of 10 games. Like this looks like a really good team in in terms of potential. That's what you're looking for. And so just kind of look for little two week stretches where, where the Pistons beat a couple quality teams and go four and two. Those are the times to be excited about what the potential can be in the bigger picture. All right. Next question. Jason, I'm a recent subscriber, so bear with me, but have you ever tried going pro? If so, what happened? Your knowledge of the game of basketball is maybe look at basketball completely differently. Um, thank you for the kind words, by the way. Uh, I've told the story on the show before, but I'll tell it again for people who haven't heard it. So, like, I just wasn't a very good basketball player when I was in college. I was good enough to get my school paid for, and I did little things well, right? Like, I could score at the JUCO level uh, and put up big numbers there as a scorer, and I always was a very good rebounder. But then when I went to play at the NAIA level, which is more organized, it kind of exposed me for being a limited uh, uh, offensive player just with the ability to navigate really good defenses. And so I basically just guarded the other team's best player and took spot-up threes. And so I was a good athlete. I could defend and I could rebound. That was really all – and I was a streaky shooter. That's what I was in high school. And so I wasn't good enough to play pro right out of high school, so I just went to work. And then – I was a late bloomer. I didn't start playing basketball until I was like halfway through high school. So I rapidly escalated post-college. Like I literally couldn't dribble or shoot when I was in college. And then like suddenly little by little became a good shooter. Little by little became a good ball handler. Then I like learned how to play with the ball in my hands. And like now I play as like this big uh, like playmaking forward who operates as like the guy with the ball in his hands who's making every decision and can score and can pass and do those sorts of things. Like I just wasn't that player when I was in college. And when I tried to play pro, so right around the time I, uh, cause when I got out of college, I started working at Verizon and then I, uh, one day was like, I would really like to try to play pro one last time before I just hang them up for good. Right. And this was when I was about like 24 and I was definitely better than I was in college, but I still wasn't very good. And I didn't have the statistical evidence to be able to go get a contract easily for real money. I could only do it for like small amounts of money. So like I'd get these offers to like go play in a lower level league in France for 200 bucks a week. Uh, I had like two or three offers like that. I had one where like, I, I had one where like a professional team in Brazil 
uh, was like, we'll, we'll pay your room and board if you come down here and play. And like, I was already making money in the States, like a lot more than that. And so like, and I'm, and I'm married and I have two dogs and my wife and I had a house. And so it was like, what was I going to do? Like leave my house to go to Brazil to play for room and board. And like, that's the thing is like, there are a lot of people who do that and there's no shame in that, but it's easier when you're single and you're right out of college. Cause then what those guys do is they'll take that deal in France for 200 bucks a week and they'll, and they, and they're like, I don't have kids. I don't have a, a wife. I can just go over there and just lean into basketball. And then they have a good season. And then they go to like a different team in the lower level league that pays them 500 bucks a week. And then they have an even better season. And then they get on with one of the top leagues in France. And now they're playing as one of the two American players on a top league in France for $1,200 a week. Right. And then the two or three more good seasons, suddenly you could sign a $150,000 contract in like the NBL or in uh, some other league in Europe. Right. And so like, that's the pathway that a lot of players take when they go overseas. You pretty much have guys that like come right out of D1 who signed big deals right away, right? Like guys like a guy who uh, didn't get drafted and didn't make an NBA roster is going to go play in the top league in Germany and he's going to make like a 175000 a year, right? Like because he was all conference in the Big 12 last year or something like that, right? But I wasn't that type of talent coming out of college. And so I pretty much had to go through the working up through the ranks process. And by the time I actually got good enough to do that, I was already 24, 25 and had too many roots set up at home. And so I had to look for things that were like super lucrative. And so I finally got my, my break, so to speak. I, uh, there was a league called the UBA in India and they, they run a shorter season. It was only like a three month season, but, uh, they offered me a deal for a thousand dollars a week. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like this would be perfect. Like I could tell my wife, I'm basically just going for a couple of months I'll make some decent money while I'm over there. It'd be great experience for me. This league had like an excellent production company that ran their television uh, network. So like they had great film to use and everything as well. And like, I was super excited. They paid me for two weeks and then the league folded because of some like international incident involving the Indian government and some of the players that were local from India or something like that. And so when that happened, I just kind of like, uh, I looked at my wife and I was like, it's just not meant to be, you know? And it's sad because like I always play basketball with a chip on my shoulder post high school because I was so bad, like worst player on my high school team legitimately couldn't, didn't become a decent player until I was like 21. And even then I wasn't that good. And so like, I've always been obsessed with like finding what the best version of myself as a basketball player looks like and, and trying to, to kind of like unpack that a little bit. But like at the end of the day, like you got to weigh that against the practical nature of what it's like being a human being and having to pay bills and manage relationships and stuff. And so um, you know, there's always going to be a part of me that, that wishes that I could have had a better kind of pathway there. Um, for instance, like I didn't play basketball at all until I was halfway through high school. Like what if I'd started when I was 10, would I have reached a lot of these milestones earlier and had a better chance? Like, yeah, maybe, but like, what do I always talk about on the show? Like hypothetical doesn't mean anything. And, uh, hypothetically there's a version of, of my basketball career that could have gone differently, but it didn't. And so I kind of just have to be at peace with that. And, um, you know, for me, like I, I just kind of redirected that energy into being the best basketball player that I can be for myself. And so like, I take great joy in the game now and I, I still train like a pro cause I'm a psychopath in that sense. And like, I like being good. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, like, like I, I, I put a ton of respect on the guys who actually did it. And the truth of the matter is, is like, like to, to, to navigate that, 
a situation overseas, the the difficult practice schedule, the being away from home, the training, uh, all of that stuff. I have so much respect for the guys who actually did it, and and I'm 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 kind of at peace with the fact that this is the way my story went, and I'm just very thankful that I get to be around the game still. Like, how lucky am I that? Despite all of that, I'm still around the game every single day because this is what I do for a living. And so I just like, I'm at peace with it. It is what it is. But I guess the short version of that answer is I tried, got paid for two weeks, league folded. So no, I guess is the the short answer (laughs) to, to make it easy. All right. Last mailbag question from Benjamin. Always hear you talking about how the Celtics are unquestionably the most talented team in the league. And to be honest, I don't see it. Even when you compare them to Phoenix, JT or KD. Um, JB or uh, I'm guessing that's Jason Tatum or Kevin Durant, Jalen Brown or Devin Booker or uh, Drew Holiday or BB. That's Bradley Beal, I'm guessing. Even uh, Chris Ops Porzingis, although he has great upside, there's a good chance he gets hurt and Nurkic is just more mature. Thoughts? Also, I, I think you're sleeping on the Nuggets again and then possibly being a dynasty. Also, early call, where do you think Wemby will end up when all things are said and done? So here's the thing. Uh, I do think Kristaps is way better than Yusuf Nurkic, and then we're also forgetting Derek White there. Again, it's with the Celtics, what makes them the most talented roster in the league is their top six is insane. They're all above-average starters between Horford, Przingis, Tatum, Brown, Drew Holiday, and Derek White, right? Then you go past that, and it's like, like Peyton Pritchard is like a really good backup guard. Right. So like you, they, they just have, in terms of their top six, seven, eight guys, they are the most talented team in the league. In my opinion, after for Phoenix, after their top three, it's a pretty big drop off. In my opinion, I do think though, uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant's probably the best duo in the league right now. Um, in all likelihood, either them or, or Dame and Giannis, depending on if Dame can ever find his shot again. Uh, the, uh, the, the can't talk. Second question about the Nuggets. Uh, also, I think you're sleeping on the Nuggets again. Thoughts on them potentially being a dynasty? I talked about them earlier today, so hopefully that answers your question. I think the Nuggets are by far the best team in the league right now. And that even if everyone kind of reached their fully formed levels, I still think the Nuggets are still a tiny bit better than everybody. Whether or not they can be a dynasty, the, the hardest part with that is like typically when there's a dynasty, there's a truly great team and then a big chasm and then everyone else. I just think there's too many other great teams for the Nuggets to like really re- uh, rank off a bunch, uh, like just rep out championships. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if they won three of the next six. Like I certainly think that's on the table and that's kind of like a little mini dynasty, right? And then last question, also early call, but where do you think Wemby will end up when all things are said and done? If he's healthy, he could be the best player of all time. That's certainly his potential. It's just really going to come down to health at that point. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. Quick breakdown of the schedule for the rest of the week. We're going to be going tomorrow, breaking down Monday night's games. Wednesday, breaking down Tuesday night's games. Wednesday night, breaking down Lakers, Clippers, and then the early game. I can't remember who plays in the early game. The ESPN slate that night. Uh, Then Thursday, we're going to hit a couple other games from Wednesday. Friday, a couple games from Thursday. And then Friday night, we're going to go. So we're actually doing seven shows this week in total. All right, that's all I have for right now. I will see you guys tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, 
That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.